Welcome to Israel War Briefing, a podcast from the Jewish Chronicle offering deep insight into the crisis in the Jewish state as it continues to unfold. I'm Jake Wallace-Simons, editor of the Jewish Chronicle and author of Israelophobia, the newest version of the oldest hatred and what to do about it. In each episode, I'll be asking an expert commentator for their analysis of the latest developments and reflections on what comes next. In front of a live audience at Chabad Belgravia in London, I interviewed the Saudi social media sensation Loe Al-Sharif. Loe grew up with extremist views, but had a change of heart in his 20s and is now a prolific campaigner for Israeli-Arab peace, with hundreds of thousands of followers on social media. The event was co-sponsored by Stand With Us UK. So, first of all, Loe, welcome uh, thank you for being here. Thank you, Jake. Can you talk a little bit about your, I suppose your life is one of two parts, mm-hmm. you know, a pivot point in the middle of it. Can you first of all talk to us about the earlier parts of your life, how you grew up and how your life unfolded to the pivot point? Thank you so much, Jake. A real pleasure being here. Hello, everyone. So before I start, I just want to say we uh, we give a great um, thanks to uh to so many people here, but I always say that uh, when we speak about the Abraham Accords, I really want you to deep down thank the leaders who made this possible, who made the Abraham Accords possible, and uh, and the leaders who made it possible. They give us all hope in the region, and this is why the Abraham Accords is so solid and it will not break. And I'm so blessed. I'm really so blessed to live in the UAE. And the president of the UAE, Sheikh Mohammed bin Zayed, is a great supporter of the Abraham Accords. And if it wasn't for him, the Abraham Accords wouldn't have happened. This is very important. So, my real story is uh, my story is like uh, it's like a movie. Are you willing to listen? So yeah. maybe it will be one day. Okay. <laughs> I was uh, born and raised in Saudi Arabia to a Saudi Egyptian family, and I was born a very religious Muslim. Uh, I still memorize the entire Quran. I memorized it at the age, at the age of uh, 18. And by the way, uh, I took Islam so seriously because I still, I believe that I still love religion, but I see things differently. This is the thing. So I was uh, raised a religious Muslim and I took Islam so serious to a level that you should uh, not take Jews and Christians as friends. You should hate Jews. The Jews are the fierce enemies of the believers, stuff like that. And it was a very, how to say this, uh, a very serious dedication to the faith. 2000, and just fast forward, 2010, I was 27 at that time, now 41. So uh, at that time, I studied, uh, I decided to study French as a second language. I love languages. So I did something called a homestay program. And a homestay program is a program that you study the language with. You, you have so many programs. You can study the language by your own. You stay in a hotel and whatever, or stay with a friend, or stay with a family. So the school recommended that, uh, that program very well. So I did the homestay program. And the school ended up putting me with a Jewish family. <laughs> and the moment I realized that they were Jews, when I entered their house, I saw a big Hamagen David. <laughs> I was like, 
What? <laughs> so I, I wrote an email to the school. I asked for a transfer because I don't feel comfortable. I still have the email. I'll make a movie about it. I'll make a reel about it. A reel. Um, I'm not so proud of what I said in the email. I will share it. But uh, I'm, I'm, prou I'm, I'm proud that God put me through this journey for a reason. I always say this. You know, as you guys say in Hebrew, so everything happens for a reason and every problem is for the good. So uh, to fast forward, the family was uh, was so wise and keen. They were not offended. I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know why they weren't offended, but uh, they weren't offended. And the the school told me, "Okay, we'll stay for two weeks, and then we'll find another family, and then we can transfer you." And in the two weeks, the mother was an amazing human being. She took me out with her shopping, doing this and that. We did two shabbats, and at that moment, I had the inner battle. The inner battle was the decisive moment that I could have been the person in front of you right now, or I could have just said, eh, I'll just stay with the herd and just keep the hate, as everyone does. The moment of the scriptures that tell you that this is right and this is wrong and the reality. So I was under this real impression, because I memorized the Quran, it was under the real, how could the, how could there's a text that said that all the Jews, the fierce enemies of, of, the, of the believers are the Jews. And, and I see good people, so there has to be something wrong. And I tell you, I will tell you now how I reconciled with these kind of texts. So I decided to say there, there has to be something wrong. And I talked to the school and I told them, cancel the transfer. I want to yeah, stay with the family. I was intrigued by the, uh, by the knowledge that the family had. By the way, they were uh, French, totally French, originally Yemeni, from a city, I still remember the name of the city that they originally came from, it's called Rida, or Rida, Rida or Rida, whatever. So, uh, the family was a traditional family, but very educated when it comes to Judaism. This is why I said, I went to France to study French, I ended up learning Judaism and Hebrew. <laughs> <laughs> So, I remember I had so many discussions with the family, with the mom especially, and the mom, she told me, hey, you want to learn Hebrew? The first thing she played to me were the songs of Oprah Hazen. <laughs> By the way, she felt like Oprah, like a national treasure for her. She told me, she's Yemeni, she's this, she's almost of the Jewish show. I said, who's Oprah Hazen? And, and by the way, I had a great, great, great uh, scholarly discussion last night with my dear friend Rick and in the car when we were going from Cambridge to uh, to London I annoyed Rick I played all the often has a songs that I know <laughs> that I know and I told him Rick this is the song that from 2010 this, with the story of the song so after this inner battle I remember that when I returned to Saudi Rachel told me hey I want you at that time I had no social media presence nothing like nothing that would be visible for, for, for me as a person that I would be able, for example, to reach thousands on social media like I do now. She told me we have a mitzvah, a commandment, out of the 613 commandments that I want you to do. It's called Tikkun Olam. It's like fix the world. And it's a song of Michael Jackson, you know, heal the world, make it a better place for you and for me and the entire human race. So I said, inshallah, inshallah. 
I returned to Saudi. I had a discussion with my mom that, uh, of course, my mom knows that I was with the, with the, with the family. But I told the mom, I feel that there's something changed. Like something changed, like the knowledge intrigued me and uh, so many things. My mom, they got this and said, hey, I'll give you two months. And then he will go back to the Salafi Lu'ay that we know. From 2010, it's been now 14 years. And by the way, I am so proud of my mother because when my mom receives calls from her friends telling her, look what your son is posting about Israel on social media and stuff. She tells her friends that even though I disagree with my, with my boy, but I'm so proud that uh, we had this discussion 14 years ago and, and he's invested lots of time and knowledge in it. So he's convinced this is his conviction. And I was really intrigued. I, I, uh, I, I did so many online courses learning the Tanakh the, the was the reason that I was really attached to, because I told you I love religion. So Tanakh was the reason I was really attached to Jewish history and the Hebrew as well. I, uh, the first thing I did was in 2012, teaching thousands of Saudis English language through entertainment. That idea, I posted a photo on X or Twitter. That idea, when it came out, it was mind blowing. Everyone loved it. I won the best educational idea in Saudi Arabia in 2013, and I was honored by the Minister of Education at that time, Prince Faisal bin Abdullah. And I got a check of 150,000 riyals, like $40,000, and it was honored on stage. I remember that. I always, I always, I, I said it even on the, on the, on the tweet. I said, Lu'ai that was influenced by extremism would never benefit the world. But Lu'ai was influenced by Tikkun Ulam did something good to the world. Come on. So I guess there are two things that come to mind listening to your story. The first is your remark that your mother disagrees with you. Yeah. And I was wondering uh, about, there must be many people who oh. disagree with you, probably most of the billion. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was wondering how those encounters have played out, how your life has changed becoming that person who stands up to those sort of you. I had a severe encounter last night, but well, you were not there, so it was also another encounter um, with, with, a, with a person that who disagrees with me. But I want to tell you one thing. This is why I told you that God puts you through a journey for a reason. The reason that I don't really get angry on social media or I don't really, how to say this, I deal with things calmly because I always say that I don't forget that one day you were in their shoes. You were thinking the same. So this is why I take things so easy and wisely, and I change the minds and hearts. I don't proselytize people, but I change the minds and hearts with knowledge. I, I, I throw facts just for being facts. And this is how people are intrigued. This is why people retweet and stuff, because it's, it's, about, it's not about, hey, we love peace, we love Israel. No, no, no. It's about facts. I always speak with knowledge, and this is very important, I try to simplify it. So when people, for example, talk in the Arab world about Zionism, 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 so please define Zionism to me. It's uh, killing the women and killing the children, and this and that, and no, this is not Zionism. Jake, Zionism can be defined in one single line, a few words, the right of the Jewish people of self-determination in their ancestral homeland, period. 
See, you make it very simple for people to understand. And then you talk, what is the, why is it ancestral homeland to the Jewish people? You go back to the religion and you explain to people that the prophets that Muslims worldwide revere and admire were Israelites. The prophets that Muslims are named after were were Israelites, by the way, and, and, and they had this kind of belief of this land that is the same belief of the Jews nowadays. So I intrigue people with knowledge and I make them think and ponder. And this is how I, I face the hate. I don't face it, I don't bad mouth about hate back. But I try to change people uh, for the good. It's not for Israel. I just want to say one thing. It's not because Mossad is paying you five million or whatever, stuff like that. I wait, uh, where's my check? I'm just kidding. <laughs> so I'm just saying that. No, it's for, I care about my fellow Muslims. I don't want them to go through what I've been through. And I want peace, the eternal peace in the region to take place between Arabs and Israelis, Muslims and Jews. And the prophecy, I always say this, this is my favorite quote from the Tanakh. The prophecy that Prophet Yeshayahu said, I believe we should all fulfill it. It's a beautiful prophecy. He said, Lo yasa goi and goi herif. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation. They shall learn war no more. I'm 41 now. Until I die, until God, amen, amen. Until inshallah God sends the angel of death and take my soul away from my body, I want to work for achieving this. I want to meet the Lord and say, I did my best to bring the children of Abraham closer. I succeed, I fail. I'm not responsible for the result, but I'm responsible for the child. So it seems to me as if your personal journey has taken place against the backdrop of a changing Saudi, changing Gulf. Mm. Uh, I mean, you know, if you go back to pre 9-11, the Saudi was the main sponsor of, of Jihadism. Mm. Uh, but post 9-11, Saudi Arabia went on this journey of trying to de-radicalize the country, withdrawing funding from the radical mosques and changing the face of the country. It's not yet joined the Abraham Accords, but it's certainly gone in that direction. The Kavov Bezat Hashem. And um, what, what do you make of the, of, of the depth of the change in the Gulf in particular? How deep do you think people are turning towards Israel, particularly in the Emirates, but also Saudi, Bahrain and, and elsewhere? It's, 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 uh, I'll tell you one thing. When the Abraham Accords were signed, I saw many people really celebrating the Abraham Accords and it was really nice because there were no wars. When the first war happened in May 2021, things were, were a bit difficult. And I want to say that in the times of hardship, it's really hard to, to, uh, to convince people about peace and everything. But I still believe that, um, um, the perception of Israel is uh, is not that positive. I'll be very honest with you. Okay, it's not that positive, but people are changing one by one. But we cannot really measure what's happening right now because of the war, and then we lose hope. And first of all, we should never lose hope. That's that's the most important thing. And the second thing is that I I, I want to commend uh, the Gulf states for really taking amazing steps 
into being moderate states. I always say that to be very honest, Jacob. Uh, when I see uh, Islamists in the UK chanting this and that and, and, and want to propose a, a model of Islam that they want to enforce, I say, the only model of Islam that I really want to live under is the model in the UAE. The Islam of the UAE is the most amazing, tolerant, tolerant, uh, tolerant Islam that you will face in your life. Freedom of worship, uh, personal freedoms, uh, Last week, there was a Hindu temple inaugurated in Abu Dhabi. Uh, life there is amazing, but this is not uh, the life that Islamists and radicals want to want us to live um, with. And this is why there is a strenuous um, um, movement against the, the Muslim Brotherhood and the extremist uh, Islamists in the UAE and also in Saudi Arabia and other places because they realize that these people don't want the good for uh, for us. And I really understand, Jake, where do these people, where do, where their, conviction, their uh, convictions come from? Because I know the scripts very well and I, I really want to tell people that uh, we should always believe that the enmity between Muslims and Jews is not eternal. The enmity between Muslims and Jews is not eternal, and peace is the only way forward. It's difficult, it's hard, but it's worth fighting for. So, turning now to the the, 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 the difficult uh, topic of October seventh and the war in Gaza, we're we're at a moment where um, you know, the, the the final showdown is on the horizon in, in Rafah. Uh, in many of them, it won't. We'll see. Um, and the Arab states, on the whole, have issued condemnations of Israel, demands for a ceasefire, and so on. But there's been a sense that their true, as private feelings in many of the Arab states, particularly amongst the leadership, uh, has not been completely behind those words. How much support, real, deep down support, is there? for Israeli victory, and how much support would you say is there for Hamas? Um, if you can just go with me, I know it's a very broad question because I'm talking about the Arab world in general, but your sense of you know, the temperature test of the, of the different regions and, and countries and what their real feel, true feelings are behind what they're saying publicly. I don't, um, I don't want to get into what politics really mean. So, but I'll tell you one thing for sure, no one no, no one wants Hamas to win. Hamas wins, we're all next. You have to know this. And uh, we are first. The apostates who were we considered by Hamas apostates and then you Jews come later. But we, we first. So, I would say that uh, uh, I, I really understand that everyone is making these kind of statements because What's happening in Gaza is terrible. And when, when people ask me, I say, of course it's terrible. Of course the war is ugly. Of course, uh, no one really wants to see the deaths of, uh, of, of, of people. You know, the Talmud and the Quran, they have an amazing uh, uh, text that say, if you save one human, if you save one human, you save humanity. If you kill one human, if you kill an innocent uh, person, you will kill all humanity. But I always ask those who who tell me about the war and everything, and I tell them that, by the way, I can call myself a very knowledgeable person on the Arab-Israeli conflict, 
the war can, I promise you, the war can end not today, not tonight, now, this very moment. If two things happen, Hamas lays down its weapon, release the hostages. Simple, basic, and elementary. The war ends now. I believe everyone deep down knows this. The problem is that that October 7th was really tragic. I lost a friend in the Supernova Music Festival. I put her picture. Her name is Imba. Amazing human being. And also, I have a friend who's a hostage. He's a friend of my uh, my favorite uh, young rabbi. His name is Hanan Miller. And that guy's name is Hirsch. Second favorite. Uh, second favorite. Uh, <laughs> Hirsch and uh, Hanan made a video uh, um, asking Hamas to release Hirsch. And Hirsch appeared in a video. His arm was, uh, was uh, injured. I'm just trying to put it nicely. And uh, when Hannah did it, I immediately published the video. And, uh, and I believe that uh, it's, it's, uh, it's unfair to take women and children and the innocents and those people in bar and others were just celebrating and, and having fun. And they, I remember people in the Supernova Music Festival, a couple of days they were in Dubai, they told me, hey, let's do the Supernova, Barakan and stuff and everything. They don't care about politics. They don't, they are not, uh, Jews who want to demonize Muslims, oh, they don't care, they just want to have fun and everything. And, and because of what happened on October 7th, this ugly war started. So, even if politics come into play, I believe everyone deep down knows that it's, it's Hamas's fault. And even the Arab leaders, by the way, when they state their, they, their statements, they always say that uh, the only um, legal a representative of the Palestinian people is the PA, even though I believe that the PA is not as good as it want, but but I believe that it's a, it's it's positive to say that Hamas is not a representative of the aspirations of the, of the Palestinian people. And what they did and their statements were failure after failure from October seventh. We will repeat October seventh again and again. A failure statement, a failing statement. And another one, we built the towns for our fighters, but the, those people above our responsibility of the occupation of the international community. How could the responsible leader say this about his own people? So, my message is that leave politics aside. Uh, deep down, everyone knows that uh, those people should never, never rule uh, Gaza after the war, and they do not represent the aspirations of the Palestinian people. You know, one of the uh, stories from October the 7th that um, has stayed with me uh, is that there was the, the story of a, a woman in one of the kibbutzim who was a photographer. Mm. And, you know, in the in the kibbutzim in the south, a lot of the people were peacekeeping. They were, they were, you know, peace activists. And she had worked in collaboration with a photographer in Gaza. They put on joint uh, exhibitions of their pictures of their homes. And it was only after October the 7th that she discovered that the Gazan photographer had those pictures that she'd taken of her home shared with him were used for intelligence by Hamas to know, to build a map of the kibbutz to know where to attack. And I think when we think about that, it's a sort of symbol for how a lot of uh, people, Jewish people in particular in Britain, 
feel a sense of despair. Um, and it, it's very, I've come across in the community many times an attitude which is, you know, how can, you know, sort of despair about Muslims, frankly. People tend to sometimes be surprised how many people tend to fall into this despairing thing of Muslims are just always going to hate us. They're always going to be, you know, um, our enemies. And people become afraid in Britain. There's so many Muslims here and they're all against us and they're going to take over and they're going to play and we have to flee. flee. What can you um, say um, to counter that kind of despair and to give people hope in Muslim-Jewish friendship that it can be achieved and that it's a real thing? If you all believe in this, then Hamas wins. And this is what Hamas and the Islamic radicals want you to believe in. The eternal enmity. They want you to believe in the eternal enmity. The thing is that yeah, there are, uh, I will not lie to you, not the majority, but there are Muslims who really care about the Jewish Muslim rehabilitation or reconciliation. I believe in a times of hardship, we should learn that we should work together, join our forces, be brave. And I tell my fellow Muslims who call themselves moderate Muslims, I started to believe that there are three categories, not only two, radical and moderate. There's a ra radical Muslims, moderate Muslims, and brave moderate Muslims. <laughs> so the, the, the moderate Muslims do not speak up, and they say, we have we have an issue that we need to solve when it comes to hate. Everyone needs to know their, 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 uh, their, uh, their, their role. Even if I say hatred comes from Jews against Muslims, I should stop them and tell them this is wrong. But I want to say I'm focusing on my people because my fellow Muslims are Muslim. I always want to say that this is not how we are distant together. We should know that we are distant to live together in the Middle East in peace. And that was the smart thing that the Abraham Accords were all about. It's called, it's named after Abraham. Even the Americans when they came after, after the previous administration and renamed it Peace Agreements. They realized that they shouldn't be named Abraham Accords. The reconciliation between our forefather Ishmael and the forefather of the Jewish people Isaac it has to be connected to that sense. And if we give up, we fail. I, I understand the anger. I understand many, many, many of my Jewish friends. Also, some of my Jewish friends come to me on Instagram. You see what happens. I, I start to hate Islam. I start to hate this. I start to hate that. And I tell them, well, you have to understand that this is what Hamas and radicals want you to believe in. And they, and they, uh, and this is why also brave, moderate Muslims have to speak up. Have to speak up. If, if you, you cannot just say, oh, what happened in October, said killing women and children and raping, which happened, which happened, uh, it does not represent, does not this, and okay, speak up. Speak up and say, why don't you just speak up? I was I was I was in Boston and I saw the forty five minutes footage of of the horror movie on October seventh that it was not meant for public and I saw a lady begging for her life to Hamas terrorist not the angle that all of you saw on social media it was from a different angle and she was begging for her life and he killed her that was. Uh, horrendous and horrific and must be condemned and those people who protest against atrocities whatever they call they should protest against that as well 
Uh, and this is why I say, in the times of hardship, it's so hard to speak up. In the times of uh, uh, prosperity, everyone wants to speak. But brave, moderate Muslims should speak up to give people hope. We are distant to live together in the Middle East. We're not going anywhere. So either we make our forefather Abraham look down to us happy and say, oh, my children made it. They got over their differences. They worked on their commonalities. and They are making the Middle East a great imagine. Imagine a Palestinian leadership works with the Israelis to make Gaza the greatest port on the Mediterranean, getting products here and there, a Singapore, a Dubai. When Israeli officials say, well, I feel so proud. We want to, we, we hope to see Gaza one day at Dubai. Because Dubai is very, it's a very successful role model. And this can happen, but it has to start with education. I really believe so. Everyone does his job the way he can. The way I can on social media, I will do it with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my might. And those moderate Muslims have to be brave and speak up to give people hope that not all Muslims like that. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, you know, one, one of the um, one of the sayings that, that has been going around in my mind recently. I, I think I had somebody shared it with me on social media. It was a, a Norwegian saying, which is "Every bird must sing with the beak it has." <laughs> uh, and I've often thought about that. You know, whatever whether you're Muslim, whether you're Jewish, whether you're not Jewish, whatever your life circumstances, whoever you have influence over, whether you work at the UN or the BBC or the local bakery or whatever. Use your voice that you have uniquely to make the influence over the people that are in your sphere. And if everybody does that, I think victory will be in sight. Inshallah. And, and, and one thing, Jake, also one thing I want to say, to those who lose hope, don't forget that there is an Israeli embassy in Germany and the German is embassy in Tel Aviv. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So with that, I'm going to take questions uh, from anybody who would like to ask questions. Can we... Just please make it uh, make it questions rather than speeches. I think, and also please uh, uh, follow me on my social media. Don't <laughs> 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 so follow him. Follow me. I, I need the followers. He has enough followers. Um, okay. So, <laughs> uh, right. So hands up. I'll take. So we've got about 15, 20 minutes. So I'll try to get as many as we can get in. So try and make them short and sweet so I can get through as many as possible. By the way, if we start from the back ish and come forward, so that would be great. Adam, are you going to be the white man? Um, can we have a round of applause for Adam from Jewish Heritage? Hello, this is Zach. I was just wondering, how has your, obviously your experience once you've Met the Jewish family. How has your experience, like with the religion, it's with Islam itself, changed uh, once this happened? Should we take more than one? Let's take three. Okay, let's take three. Take, take, take another two and then we'll. Yeah. Just a couple here. Thank you very much. Um, my name's Aurel. Um, and at King's, um, we've seen quite a tremendous amount of anti-Semitism coming from campus environments, and very unfortunately, a lot of it does come from Muslim students. Um, what are some initiatives that you would suggest 
in order to actually combat this kind of vitriol and hatred on campus. Thank you. So one more from the back. As someone who's an activist, I want to know what one thing you would like us to do to bring support of the Jewish community and all political parties behind framing the Abraham Accords and Saudi normalization as a major part of the solution and the end to this conflict without the participation of Hamas. What one thing would you want us to go out and do after this meeting that's got a political impact? Yeah. So, so the, 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 uh, the three questions. Yeah, the first question is my relationship with uh, Islam, Zach, right? So, I believe, Zach, that Islam is uh, one of the uh, uh, Abrahamic faiths that uh, it's not, it's, it's not so. It's not so, so, it's not wrong to say this, but I believe that all the, all the Abrahamic faiths went through a reform. And I did my own reform of my, of my faith in a way that, for example, the verses that I told you about, the verses about uh, the enmity and stuff, how I view them now as the way, or how I view them after my experience with the Jewish family is that I say that there are verses have to be read in their own context without being applied every time and everywhere. That's very important because also Rachel told me we have things in the Bible that say that they, they are not applicable now. The problem is that we were not taught that. We were taught that every single verse is literal and it has to be applied every time and everywhere. So I did my own reform because I believe that Islam, by the way, Islam shares something very important with monotheism, with, with Judaism. You know what I call it? I call it the Israelite monotheism. The Israelite monotheism, Tawhid al-Sa'id, which is both religions, both faiths are based on the worship of the one and the only true God without any partners, without any associates, without anything, without any, any, uh, uh, concept of, uh, of two or three gods or so, that God is a jealous God. It's the, the same concepts. We have La ilaha illallah, you have in all things, although it's the same, the same commandments. And by the way, one of the commandments that I always, when my mother, when my mother always tells me that, uh, that I see that your, your influence on the Jewish values made you a, a better son. I, I always say that. I always say that. <laughs> I, I always say that because, because my mom, I told her, we have in the Quran, God has commanded that you worship him alone and honor your parents. Well, Imam, this is in the Quran, and it's Torah, Kabed et Abi Khabed in Mechale Alkhoni, Mechale Mashal, So I said we have the same command, the same commandments. So I believe Islam is a beautiful uh, uh, faith. It has to be somehow reformed. And I, I, I don't say it uh, in a bad way, in a good way. Just there is a small part that is called hate. You should take it out, and the rest is amazing, Wallah. So that's the first question. I'm being very blunt and out. I just go straight and give blunt answers. <laughs> so the second question. Campus, uh, campus question. Yes. University campuses. 
uh, he was saying that there's sadly much uh, anti-Semitism coming from the Muslim students on campus. Yeah, this what can be done about that? First of all, I talked to some Israeli uh, students. I talked to some Israeli students, and some of them they were saying that I graduated from Penn State from in America. So I talked to the the Lion Club, and some 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 Israelis they say. The Israeli Lion Club, like, we are busy with our studies, we are busy, we don't want to get this, we are intimidated. We, you should not be intimidated, you should speak up. You should, you should speak up and you should bring speakers, Jews, non-Jews, to speak the vision of peace. But if you're intimidated, then Hamas, they will win. And by the way, I want to tell you, you want to listen to those who intimidate you. They intimidate you once, twice, twice, and then they, they give up. But if they, they intimidate you once and they, and they see you back up, they, they win. Don't be intimidated. Uh, another verse. Another verse. Where's Rick? <laughs> yeah. Okay, so another verse I would say, in order not to be intimidated. That also gives me some strength when I, when I, when I, when I, when I always think of being intimidated. You know what God said to Joshua? Be courageous and be strong because the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So the thing is that the thing is that you should not be intimidated. And uh, most of the Israelis that I see are intimidated. And this is the real straightforward answer that I would give. And, and the what one thing can people do to support the Abraham course? Yes, the, the one thing that, uh, the one thing that I would, uh, I, I don't really have a, a great answer for one line, one thing that, but I, I believe the continuous work of Muslim Jewish uh, uh, work, uh, the thing that I did with Rick uh, yesterday in the Wolf Institute in Cambridge was something, uh, I felt that it was it was positive that we sit together, speak speak up together. This is, um, this is in my opinion, with what the enemies of peace don't want you to do, the continuous work. So we should always continue to work until we see this. And by the way, I think it's a matter of time. It was that close, but it was, you know, uh, you know, God has a reason. So inshallah, but inshallah it will happen one day. I'm so sure. Inshallah. inshallah. I think um, I will take the privilege of asking one final question if that's all right. Um, and then any more questions can come up, as I'm sure there'll be many people who are told. Um, I was um, uh, interviewing the chief rabbi recently, Rabbi yeah. Lernus, uh, in North London, and he, he was talking about interfaith mm. relations between Jews, Jews and Jewish and Muslim leaders before October the 7th. And he said that there was a kind of attitude that was brought by Jewish people in, in, engaging in interfaith that let's not talk about Israel. Because we know that the, our Muslim counterparts, if we start talking about Israel, there'll be so much hatred that we won't be able to have a relationship. And so let's leave that off the table and just try to form commonality and bonds and bridges aside from that. And he said that since October the 7th, he regretted that position. Absolutely. And he decided that he wanted to um, 
tackle the elephants in the room, you know, be bold and be more courageous and, and, and take that. It's like a bit of um, And I wondered what your reflections were on, on that point. You know, so often you, you encounter Muslims who really, their anti-Semitism, it, it's not just Muslims, but it flows into Israel. It's no longer about Jews as a, as a, as a religion as it was in the Middle Ages, as a Saxon or as a race as it was in the 20th century. It's now all about our national uh, homeland. How do you tackle that obstacle? First of all, I was just going to say I disagree with this uh, with this vision, isolating Israel and just focusing on Muslims and Jews and, and isolating anti-Zionism from anti-Semitism because they are the same. Yeah. <laughs> I want to tell you one thing. You have to tackle the legitimacy of Israel. This is very important that the Jews are not foreign colonials or conquerors, and it comes with education. So, we can have an interfaith dialogue, and we, t- we ask our fellow non-Jews, we tell them, where does the word Jew come from? Let's just start with, by the Jew, exactly, but no, I'll just, I'll give you the exact correct answer. <laughs> so, and it's very astonishing that the people responsible for that are honored and revered in Islam, believe it or not. So, where does the word Jew come from? Let me give you the complete answer. The land of Canaan, around uh, 1,200 years BCE, Joshua bin Nun entered the land, partitioned it into 12 sectors, the 12 sons of Jacob, Aswad. Joshua bin Nun is honored and revered in the Quran. Two men of those who we have blessed told the people, get into the land. The two people were Joshua and Caleb. The partition that Joshua made on this land was called Judah. The, the, the Israelites were called Israelites until the Babylonian exile took place in 586 BCE. So the Babylonians in Iraq were asking those Israelites, where do you guys come from? Jake, your ancestor, where do you guys from? Where do you guys come from? Hail from. They said, we are from Judah. We are the Jews. So Jew, the word Jew comes from Judah. Of course, it's named after the fourth son of Jacob, but it's because of that area. And this is why when you when even some of my Christian friends, Arab Christian friends, they tell me, no, it's not. I told them, okay, let's open the gospel and see where Jesus was born. <laughs> Jesus was born of, in Bethlehem of Judea. So you cannot disconnect the Jews from Israel. Those who want to disconnect, they will not solve the problem. And I, and I really want to, to focus on this because it's very important. Unless you have a generation that believes in the legitimacy of Israel, and the legitimacy of the Jewish existence in their ancestral homeland, you will not have a permanent peace. When you have the when you have the look at the Jews as foreign colonialists or conquerors or white conquerors from Europe, uh, it will not help this uh, 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 the solution. And sometimes, to be very honest, Jake, I'll, I'll be very blunt as always. Some Jews participate in this when you find that yeah. some Jews. Help with this narrative and uh, by disconnecting themselves from Israel, and this is and this is uh, also important. And to be very honest with you, my 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 
great fascination, even though I haven't been to Israel. Inshallah, one day. Yeah, I know. I, I know. I, 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 you know, the, the council, in, uh, the, the Israeli council in Dubai, she told me, Dubai, we have a program that we want to send social media influencers to Israel, but not you, because you've been there many times. So who told you? You haven't? So no, I haven't. But maybe there are some, but you know, this and that. I told her, yeah, but this, I haven't been. Inshallah, one day. So uh, I always say that the fascination is that Israel is, is in, my, in my humble opinion, as a person who believes in God, is really, really a miracle in itself, in a way. There are two miracles in Israel. When the Romans expelled the Jews in 70 AD, in the Bar Kokhba uh, revolution, when Hadrian uh, changed the name from Judea to Palestina and, uh, and changed the name Yerushalayim to Ilya Kapitolina, and then the Jews returned after, from 90, uh, 70 AD to 1948. That's a miracle. And the second miracle that really, I want, I always say this to, to my Jewish friends and my Israeli friends that some of them don't really appreciate that much and I hope that they do. The second miracle of Israel is what I call the Dead Sea Scrolls. Before 1948, the consensus among scholars was the oldest Jewish script we have was in the Aleppo Codex in Syria. But the Dead Sea Scrolls, scrolls written by Essenes, a sect of the Jewish people, identical to the text that we have today from the Hebrew Bible, it should, it should, it should tell you that this land was, was, that this text brings the history of this people to life that you can examine and see in the 21st century. So, disconnecting Israel from the, the issue is not the solution. Wow. Having Israel on top of the issue is the solution. Right. Well, well said. I, I sometimes think that there's this idea of, that it's anti-Semitic to conflate Jews with Israel. You know, many people say that, and it feels to me that underlying that assumption is that Israel is so bad mm -hmm. That you can't connect Jews to it because you're uh, holding Jews responsible for how bad Israel is. In fact, um, how the novelist Howard Jacobson is a columnist for the Jewish Chronicle. He wrote that it's as if um, you know, uh, dissociate, by dissociating, dissociating yourself from the heinousness of Israel, all you're doing is conceding the heinousness. You're yeah. dignifying. Yeah. Uh, so for me, I think I'm quite proud to conflate Jews in Israel because that's how it's always been for four thousand years. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming, for talking. You've been listening to the Israel War Briefing from the Jewish Chronicle with me, Jake Wallace-Simons. Join us next time for more insight and analysis from leading experts.